Did you recognize some of that? 2020. <laughs> 2020. Like it almost needs no explanation or introduction, right? Everyone knows what it means. But what a year. Before 2020, did it ever cross your mind that one event could stop the whole world and simultaneously affect all of us? I mean, what reason would we have to think that? With all our advances in technology and in science and in medicine and all the rest, how could one thing just stop us all and impact us all at the same time? But 2020 was a year that nobody saw coming. Can we agree with that? <laughs> but you know what? It's not the first time in history that something has rocked our world, forced people into a lockdown, and changed the way people will now live for the rest of time. In fact, I can think of one event and one person who rocked the world literally to its core and has had ramifications that will last for all of eternity. The person is Jesus. And the event is his life and death and resurrection. Long before a worldwide pandemic rocked our world and changed things forever, you need to know and understand that Jesus entered the world and he rocked the world and he changed life for everyone forever. Jesus is the reason for today's celebration of Easter. He is the then, the now and the tomorrow focus of today's message. You see, he existed then he exists now and he will exist tomorrow. So it seems absolutely fitting in a time where we are living in this in-between. We're living in between the then and the now and the hope for tomorrow. Because guys, 2020's effects are not over. It's going to be a long time before we resume and know what normality really is. But we can look to tomorrow with hope because of who he is and what he has done. I thought you'd get a little bit more excited about that, guys. It is Easter Sunday. It is Easter Sunday. You know, we're going to take a few minutes now and we're going to explore the then. We're going to explore the then before 2020 and we're going to explore the then before Jesus walked in on the scene. Are you a little intrigued? Good. That's, that's the answer I was hoping for. You know, sitting on the beach in the early days of 2020... I found myself at rest and at peace. I was relaxed and New Year had ticked over. And who didn't have hopes and plans for that year, yeah? I had plans. We were going to travel. We had dreams that were starting to grow legs that we were ready to run full throttle with. I was getting healthier and stronger within myself. Things were in a really good place. There was so much hope and so much expectation. Now, I had the luxury of freedoms that were rights in my everyday Western world. We just didn't realise them. You could go where you want, when you want, and as far as you wanted as well. Yeah? <laughs> you didn't give it a second thought, did you? You just went. But as much as we had all of this, I found myself in this cycle of life. And life was constantly busy and chaotic and overscheduled. See, it was tiring Life was the moments I lived in between my longing for escape. You know, when we just need to breathe from the rest of it. Not that my life was bad, and I loved my life, but life was just so busy, I lived for the escape moments. Oh, we're finally on holiday. Oh, it's finally the weekend. Oh, it's a day off from the kids at school. It's just those moments to breathe and to stop. 
I'm seeing a lot of nodding heads, and that tells me that people here are relating. If you're online and you're relating today, I mean, just drop me a comment, say, I hear you, sister. Yes, I hear you. Life is absolutely busy. And it's all too easy to fall into the trap of being a human doing instead of remembering we're human beings. I was looking for that thing, that one thing. You know the thing that you think is going to make everything better? If I could just change that, if we could just have that, if I could just do that, then life would be better, easier, more simplified. You know, let's jump back some 2,000 years ago, a different then. Make no mistake, people back then didn't live too much different from us. They had their rituals, they had their traditions, they had their daily lives. They too lived the daily grind. Instead of donning a suit and going into the city for work, they met in marketplaces to trade. Or they spent all night on the boats, catching fish and sleeping on boats and then bringing them in to sell them. They too were living in a time when political climates were high. There were, there were wars, there was oppression, there were people groups who were marginalised. There was illness, there was sickness. People were doing the best they could with what they had. Sounds like us, doesn't it? We're doing the best we can with what we have. Like us, they cherished family, they cherished freedoms, and they were devoted to God. But they too were looking for the one thing. They too were looking for the change, something to break them out of the cycle of every day. Now see, they were looking for sweet salvation. They knew as a Jewish people and as a Jewish culture, that's the context we're talking about today, when Jesus walked in on the scene, those people were all too aware of, of, of the spiritual condition of their own lives. They knew that sin had impacted them and had impacted the world. They knew that they were separated with God because of that. But they knew that one day God would send a saviour into the world to fix all of that for them but they didn't know what he would look like. So they were going about every day and they were looking for that. They were looking for that thing. When is my break coming? See, they would engage in regular festivals and rituals, which would bring cleansing to their lives and make them presentable to God again. But then they would just go live life, get dirty with the mess of sin again and have to come back and do it all again. Nothing they could do would ever be enough. When would they get their break? You know, for 12 men in particular, among them were fishermen, a tax collector, political activists and business owners. They were just going about life, watching and waiting, waiting for this saviour, waiting for the change, waiting for the thing that would make life better. And then their life was interrupted, rocked by something that changed their entire society and their world for eternity to come. Enter Jesus. And life went from the daily grind to the daily adventure. They weren't quite sure who Jesus was. They were on this journey of working it out. But they knew he was someone. They knew he was significant. And so they believed he was the one that they had been waiting for. And as time went on, they came to believe, yes, you are Jesus, the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the one we have been waiting for. And in the same way, we now measure our lives as before 2020 and after 2020, they can measure their lives as before Jesus walked on the scene and after Jesus walked on the scene. So let's just have a look at some of the similarities between them and us. You see, for us in a pre-COVID world, life was pretty safe, yeah? 
was there was so much predictability, we could plan for things, we knew what was going to happen. There was a degree of care carefreeness. I mean, had you ever washed your hands so much before last year? I mean, you just said, I want to go here and you made plans and you were spontaneous and you got on a plane and you travelled. We did all of those things without thinking twice. There was a level of security about our lives, about government, about our resources, about the state of the world. And perhaps I think one of the big things is we didn't realise, but we took so much for granted. Shared experiences, family, our daily routines, even walking up to the street to buy a coffee, whatever it is, we took so much for granted. You know, life for the 12, some 2,000 years ago, was a little the same. It was safe and it was predictable until they had to leave their jobs, leave their families and everything they knew to follow a guy who said, come follow me. You know, they met opposition in the form of the government and religious leaders who wanted to kill them. Make no mistake, as they travelled from town to town, they had to lock themselves away and hide. People were after them and after Jesus. It wasn't safe at all. It wasn't predictable at all. It wasn't the way they thought their salvation was going to come. Life had lost the same familiarity that we all take for granted. But it's the same familiarity we're all trying to break out of. But perhaps there's more to stand by gain, to gain by taking the chance on him. Life for them was busy and rushed, from boats to marketplaces to bed and then back at it again. They may not have had all the cars and the technological advancements and all the things that we do, but within them would have been the most common experience to humanity that every single person sitting in this room today has, that every single person who's watching online today has, and it's this. It's the question of this, am I enough? Am I being enough? Am I doing enough? There's got to be more than this. And we all get stuck there. It's, it's the rat race of life. We're stuck striving, searching, going about the cycles, on and on, climbing, trying to get somewhere, trying to do something and trying to do it all on our own. This question is common to us. It's common to the world. The world feels it. They felt it in the then. They feel it in the now. But will they feel it in the tomorrow? See, humanity shares and has always shared this common experience. And what I love about this bit is that Jesus knew. Jesus is no stranger to the things we experience because he came as fully God and fully man. So everything we think, he thought at some point. Everything that we feel, he felt at some point because he had to know what life was like for us to give us the way out of the cycle that we can't break ourselves out of. Jesus knew what we needed then. He knew what we needed now and he knew it could only be found in him. The answer that we're all looking for is life. It's life. Jesus' friends liked to write down the stuff that he said. And his friend John wrote down these words. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Jesus came for the very thing we seek. We seek life, but we get stuck in the busy and the race of what we think life is. Life is having this thing, doing this thing, going to this place. But the problem is every time we try to create life, we actually lose it. Jesus says when we lay it down, that's when we find it. Yeah, it's not in the doing, it's not in the getting, it's not in the having, it's not in the needing to climb the ladders. It's in the going, God, I can't do this. I need you. That's where you find life. 
See, everything is tied up in him, our beginning, our end, everything. So we can't find life apart from him. Jesus came to save the people of his day because he knew they could not save themselves. And he came to save us because we can't save ourselves either. Life tricks us into thinking the more we do, the more we strive, the more we try, we'll get the break that we're looking for. But spoiler alert, you can't, you won't. Our rituals, our traditions, our work, the things we busy ourselves with, hoping to find salvation, you won't find it anywhere but in Jesus. Surrender to Jesus alone brings salvation. Whether we're in a worldwide pandemic, whether we're in lockdown, whether we're facing relational challenges, whether we're looking to break out of the cycles of addiction, whether it's financial hardship, whether it's just the stuff life throws at you, Jesus comes to offer us life, a full life, a freeing life, life above all the stuff. He offers us life with him. It's true life that he offers us. Without the striving, and Jesus assures us of this one thing, we are enough. You are enough. And he is enough. We were enough for him to go to the cross. And he has become enough for us. He is all the life that we need. I love that Jesus knew what we needed. He knew we needed life. And I'm too over-existing. Are you? Are you over-just existing? Yeah? Don't you want to find life? If you want to find life, find Jesus because all life is tied up in him. His existence was the reason for everyone then. His existence is the reason for everyone now. And his existence is the reason for everyone tomorrow. His life and his death and his resurrection are for everyone. Everyone then, everyone now, and everyone tomorrow. But now that we know this, what will we do with Jesus? in our now and in our tomorrow. So let's continue today just by taking a moment to reflect for ourselves what life was like for us each last Easter. So here we were in the early stages of a global pandemic and we, like so much of the world, were in lockdown. Now I'd just come home from travelling with my family and I came home, we had the pleasure of visiting three Australian states And all of a sudden in lockdown, you couldn't go anywhere, anywhere at all. So I went from a lovely time with my family to lockdown in isolation. And uh, many people were asking a year ago, and you might remember, how did this happen? (laughs) How do we get here? Or how are we going to get out of this? What's the future going to look like? And it was a time of the completely unexpected, as we all experienced. And as Rose said, not at all what we thought 2020 would look like. But... If we stop and think back, we found ways of coping. We found ways of adapting and we found ways of being able to connect despite the conditions and despite the circumstances. And we also found that God was with us. He was with us in that season. He was with us in our homes. He was with us in all the situations that we faced, with us in our workplaces. He was there with us, helping us, guiding us and sustaining us in the middle of it all. So let's think about now what happened around Easter or Resurrection Sunday that we are celebrating today. And what has this got to do with a global pandemic, you may ask? Well, let's think about this. Jesus came into a world that had its own challenges. Jesus came for a purpose 
in that world and around him he had a number of disciples or followers who had been with him for three years. Three years they'd been with him, learning from him, following him, seeing the miracles, uh, hearing what he said about the kingdom, receiving truth from him. But what actually happened here? They knew that he was going to change the world and that was their expectation. So they were following him expecting that this is it. This is when we're going to be set free from Roman rule. This is when we don't have to put up with the oppression anymore and all the things that we are putting up with. This is the king, this is the kingdom and they were still expecting that he was actually going to make magnificent changes on the earth. The fact is he did. It just didn't look like what they were expecting. So what actually happened? When we look at the cross now and when we think about what happened on what we call Good Friday, after the three years of expectation and the three years that we've talked about, here we are now and here we are at the cross. What actually happened? One of Jesus' disciples betrayed him and you and I can understand what that might feel like. They betrayed him to the Jewish leaders who were so threatened by him. Jesus was arrested by Roman soldiers who were governing Judea at the time and he was sentenced to death under Roman conditions like a criminal, which of course he was not. And this is what we're remembering and why he did it. And despite the many prophecies that are in the Bible about what Jesus, who Jesus is and what was going to happen, the crowds who had been following Jesus at that moment, at that time, when things didn't go according to what they expected, they backed away from him. Even his closest disciples struggling, struggled with facing the fact that Jesus was going to die. Judas betrayed him, one of his own. Peter denied him and he was left alone in the Garden of Gethsemane while he was praying for the world and he was praying for you and I in that moment when he was completely alone with his father when he was wrestling with what he had to face he was praying for you and I all those who would come afterwards that's such encouragement and so what happened Jesus then willingly willingly of his own free will gave up his life on the cross the cross of Calvary and he gave it up for a purpose and that includes you and I. And he gave it up in obedience to his Father in heaven because his Father so wanted us to have a relationship with him. He wanted you and I to have a relationship with him. The good news this morning is that Jesus died for a purpose. God had a plan for you and I from the beginning of time. None of this has been a surprise to God. And that plan involved Jesus taking our place and dying on the cross for our sin, that we would be saved from our eternal destiny, which is separation from God and everything that would mean. He has saved us from that. You see, in this time, God was at work, just the same as he has been at work in our lives now and in our nation now and in the world now facing a global pandemic. God is at work. God was at work then, fulfilling his plan and restoring our hope of a relationship with God. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, for some it was, was, well, there goes all hope. I was wrong, he was wrong, that's it. For some it was, what happened? This is not what I was expecting. This is not what we expected. And most of his disciples had run away by that stage. 
the Jewish leaders, they thought that their problem was solved. For Satan, he thought he'd won. It looked like the end. It looked like hope had gone and that the Jewish people were never going to be free from Roman rule. And we can imagine some of those feelings, you know, from our experiences last year. Were we ever going to be set free of lockdown? Were we ever going to get out of this? So just as we saw God at work during our period of lockdown, Jesus was at work. God was at work when Jesus died on the cross. And he's still at work today. He's still at work today. So what really happened? What was really going on when Jesus died on the cross? Let's have a look at this for a minute or two. Let's consider some perspectives of Jesus' death on the cross at the time. So the Pharisees, they thought they'd resolved their problem with the Jews. They thought they'd gotten rid of the problem. Herod thought he'd solved his problem. He'd gotten rid of the other king who was such a threat to him, so he thought. Judas despaired and then hanged himself over what he had done in betraying Jesus. And as we said before, Satan thought that he had won. However, what else happened at that time? Well, the Roman centurion believed, the one who was standing at the foot of the cross, he believed that Jesus was truly the Son of God. One of the thieves crucified with Christ was saved just before he lost his own life because he expressed his faith in Jesus and it didn't matter that he was on the cross, that he was being hanged for whatever he had done. He received Jesus' forgiveness at that last moment on his life. And Jesus promised him that he would be with him. What a promise. That's a king. That is a king. That is a king of an eternal kingdom. The other thing that happened is the earth quaked and creation trembled in response to what was happening. Creation is subject to Jesus. And it trembled and it, the earth creaked and all of those things happened. The temple veil was supernaturally torn in two, opening up the Holy of Holies and the presence of God. Before that, only the priest could go in. Now everyone could go in. You and I can come into the presence of God. It was opened up forever for us. And Satan was defeated in that moment forever. It was done. And we can see that even today there are vastly different perspectives of what's happening in our own world. If we look at things through the lens of uh, Jesus, we can see things that you don't see if you're not looking through that lens because we have Jesus and we have all of his promises. The other thing that happened at the cross is a great exchange happened between Jesus' lives and our lives. Derek Prince, who was a great Bible teacher, summed it up so well, and I'm going to quote his words because they're based on a number of Bible verses which we won't have time to go through this morning. But here is really what happened. So this is for you and I this morning and for anyone watching online this morning. Jesus was punished that we might be forgiven that his forgiveness is available to us. Jesus was wounded that we might be healed and his healing is available to us. Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness that we might be made righteous with his righteousness and we'll come back to that. Jesus died our death that we might receive his life. How powerful is that? Jesus was made a curse that we might enter into the blessing Jesus endured our poverty that we might share in his abundance. This is truth. Jesus bore our shame that we might share his glory. How powerful was this on the cross? Jesus endured our rejection that we might have his acceptance with the Father. Jesus was cut off by death that we might be joined to God eternally. Our old person was put to death and our new person comes to life when we accept Jesus. 
And this verse sums it up so well. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21 and it says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is what was going on on the cross. Not what was seen from the outside, but through the eyes of faith, God has revealed what was happening on the cross as he fulfilled his great plan from the beginning of eternity. The cross was an offence to some, but for us it's a place of joy and it's a place of rejoicing and a place of thankfulness to Jesus. This means that all of our past is left at the cross when we accept Jesus and choose to follow him. The cross looks strange until we see it from God's point of view. For God, it is his way of saving us from what we would ultimately have faced and that's an eternity without him. His master plan is so great that in God's eyes we have the righteousness or the right standing with God of Jesus, his son. How marvellous that is. What a marvellous plan. What a great plan from a great God. This means that we can be free of our past, the things that weigh us down, free from all guilt and shame. It means that we can have a relationship with God which is based upon what Jesus has done in giving up his own life for us. It is powerful. The cross is powerful and the cross has power. Righteousness is a gift from God and it's been paid in full by Jesus. There's no outstanding debt when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus. It has been paid. It has been cancelled. So today we can also live with a sense of understanding that when we continue to fear the Lord and we continue to honour him, and that when we also face devastation in our lives, and we've seen much devastation around the world in the last 12 months, particularly in relation to a global pandemic, but other things as well, and we have faced devastation for some of us in our own lives. But the point is this. There is a promise for you and I this morning that yet God's purposes will still be fulfilled. In the face of devastation, God's purposes will still be fulfilled. We need no more example than what he has done at the cross of his greatness, his heart and his love. And we have the opportunity this morning to take that into our own lives in a deeper way. I want to leave you with three things to remember about what happened to Jesus. First one is this. Jesus was humbled before he was raised up. So he was humbled as he went to the cross, humbled as he suffered in silence, humbled as he submitted to what he had to submit to. And then God raised him up and he is now seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. Sometimes we are humbled and we wonder what's going on. But you know that God will raise you up again when you are in relationship with him. Second thing is there are times when we don't understand what God is doing. Just the same as Jesus' disciples at the time, they didn't really understand what God was doing until a bit later. And there are times that we don't really understand what he's doing. But in faith and trust, we can bow our knees and our hearts to God who is faithful and trustworthy in all circumstances. The third point is this. God is a God of new beginnings. 
And uh, the new beginnings that Jesus won for us on the cross have no end. There's no end to the new beginnings that Jesus won on the cross. Not only is each day a new day, the story goes on and on into eternity. Our story goes on and on into eternity because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So you might be wondering, what does tomorrow now look like for you and I? Okay, that, that's where I pick up. So what does tomorrow look like for you and I? And um, to answer this question, I'd like to look at it from Peter's perspective. Now, Peter was um, there at the time during the resurrection and he continued to walk in the faith of a Jesus follower for many you know, years for the rest of his life to the point where he actually died for his faith. So it's worth looking at things from Peter's perspective. And in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, he said this, he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter would say that there was this bloke that I walked with and that I hung around and his name was Jesus. And I can confirm it, he was the Son of God. And Peter said, in his great mercy, God has given us a new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what does tomorrow look like for you and I? It looks like a new birth into a living hope. <clears throat> now, before Jesus, we were helpless and hopeless. Sin had us, sentenced us to an eternal separation from God and all that is good, okay? But because Jesus is risen, we too are risen, guys. In Christ, we are risen in Christ. And that is that we died with him and we have new life with him. That was the exchange that happened on the cross. And so through the resurrection, we have a living hope. How cool is that? Now, I've got good news for you. We have a living hope because Jesus isn't dead. He actually rose. The God we believe in is alive, okay? And if he rose again, that means everything that he said, that you and I, we can have life in Jesus' name. Through the resurrection of Christ, you and I have a new birth. How cool is that? What does living hope mean? It means we've got a new birth, a new lease on life, and we have a fresh start. So that's awesome. So why is Easter so important? It's because after the dust settled, as Julie started to talk about, everyone who had once believed and stopped believing after Jesus died suddenly became devout followers. Why is Easter important? Because the resurrection, because they have a living hope. Now you think about it, when Thomas touched Jesus' hands and he felt the hole in there, I just want you to think about the emotion of it. Think about the relief and joy. And, you know, this is the thing. We have a new life because God visited earth and Thomas was alive to see God in a body. Thomas was alive to see God come down to earth. And so from that point, when he touched his hands, everything changed suddenly everything that thomas heard jesus said which kind of might be true was definitely is true 
How amazing is that? So, <clears throat> so what does tomorrow look, for, look like for you and I? So Peter continues and he says that God has not only given us a living hope, but also, he says, God in his great mercy has given us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Why can it never perish, spoil or fade? Because this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's not material. So let me ask you, who is it that receives an inheritance normally? It's children. And so, you know, our tomorrow is a better tomorrow because God is inviting us into a deep relationship where he calls us his children. How good is that? Our tomorrow is a better tomorrow because the inheritance is not fleeting. It's not temporary. It goes on forever and ever and ever. And it's not based on what you've done or whether you're a good person. It's based on this great mercy, Peter would say, which God has given us. It's a gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it, as the song says, but we have received it. And therefore, our tomorrow is a better tomorrow. So here's the backdrop, guys, to this verse which Peter's talking about. Now, he's actually writing a letter to a group of people who were persecuted because they were scattered from their homelands in different um, parts of the world and they would have felt isolated and they had their possessions and land taken away from them, and they would have felt the pain of experiencing loss right so here's the deal COVID may have taken things away from us perhaps you felt isolated or perhaps you felt some loss but perhaps this COVID experience has shown us that our hope has actually been placed in earthly things this Easter, perhaps the invitation for you and for I is to place our hope in something more secure. How good is that? Okay, so what should the source of our hope be, you're asking? So Peter said that our hope is not based on the idea that nice things happen to Christians or not that if I'm good, then bad things won't happen to me. Peter said that we have a living hope based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said we have a, I'm going to say it again, we have a living hope based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter witnessed this horrifying thing happen to Jesus. Someone who was so perfect, without fault, someone who was sinless, and he witnessed this horrendous thing. So when we're talking about the source of our faith, we've got to remember the good news for you and I today is if you've lost your faith in God because of evil in the world or because of pain or suffering, I want to invite you to reconsider the reason that you have faith in God. Because the men and women of, who documented the events surrounding Jesus' life, death and resurrection, they saw and experienced pain and suffering that we could not even imagine. And being a Christian does not mean that we are shielded from COVID events, from loss, pain or trials, right? But the good news is for you and I today is the source of our faith is Jesus resurrected. When Jesus was brutally crucified, Peter saw the worst thing happen imaginable to the best person that's ever known. And three days later, he believed anyway because of the resurrection event, okay? 
So let's take a look at that resurrection story from the perspective of Mary Magdalene, John and Peter from their perspective. And the scripture is John chapter 20, verse 1, okay? So at night, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Can you imagine it? She rocks up and the stone's not there. So what does she do? She came running to Peter and, and John saying, they... They being, I don't know who they, maybe it was the Pharisees or maybe it was a Roman soldier. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So you can imagine the, you know, possibly panic and fear in her voice because she would have been both sad and worried. She's thinking they're disrespecting her body, right? And it was like another wound to her heart in a sense. And so, you know, Peter's response, can you imagine the thoughts going on in Peter's head? He's, he's, I, Pete hasn't seen it, right? He's thinking, is Mary going crazy? Did someone steal his body? Why would they do that? Nah. I mean, hang on. When Lazarus died, surely not. I've got to see this for myself. John, let's go. So what happens is Peter and John start running. And I think it was a full-on sprint. Could you imagine it? The person who you've been following for years and years, who you've built up, built up amazing faith and hope and belief in, has been brutally crucified and someone said that, hey, he's not where he was. Can you imagine? They're daring again to have hope in their hearts. Yeah. The adrenaline is pumping and they're getting closer and closer to the, to the tomb. And we see that John gets there first in verse 6 and 7. It says, then Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head and the cloth was lying in its place separate from the linen. And you know what's amazing about that? The text says that when Peter saw the cloth and linen in John 20 verse 8, it says, he saw and believed. Yeah, yeah, you can clap, Absolutely. Early that morning, Peter's faith was forever changed, guys. It changed from someone who ran away from danger when a little girl said, hey, are you one of his disciples, to someone who actually ran towards it in order to share the gospel. And so Peter's takeaway, and if I'm going to jump back out of the story of the resurrection and back into what Peter's letter was to these people, Peter's takeaway, Peter said that we have a living hope based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning, in a post-COVID world, we know that God is for us because Jesus died for us, not because things always work out for us, but because God loved us and showed us his kindness, his great mercy. So like Peter, the invitation of Easter for you and me is to allow the resurrection to reframe your life. So the question I have is, will you? Will you let it reframe your life? So today, if you've been following along with us and something has tugged at your heart and you've thought to yourself, today's the day. Today, I'm going to follow Jesus. Then today I'd like to invite you to take the first step in your relationship with God. I'd like to invite you to join me in prayer by repeating after me. So if everyone can please, you know, bow their heads and close their eyes and repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. 
I believe you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Amen. How cool is that, guys? Why don't you give a clap? Some people are giving their heart to the Lord for the first time this morning. So maybe we can put the house lights on. We're going to actually um, spend some time in communion right now. So indeed, this Sunday is Easter. And the significance of the cross is so much more powerful this Sunday. Can't you feel it? You know... Let's remember together at this time of communion. So Jesus broke his body for you and I so that we would be made whole. And this represents his broken body. You know, as Rose said, Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full. So let's remember that as we take the bread. It's always fun doing this with a handheld microphone. You know, Jesus spilled his blood, and this is what represents his spilled blood for us, and he did it for our redemption. You know, redemption, when you redeem something, it's like you, you redeem a voucher or something, and it's like it's what you, what you bought, what, what bought you that thing, you know. And so this blood is what bought for us. This precious blood of Jesus is what brought for us. You know, as Julie said, God made Jesus to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. So let's remember as we take the cup. Thank you, Jesus. Just going to pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that as we take this bread and as we drink this cup, we proclaim your death until you return. Lord, we actively remember and recognise the significance of who you are, what you did, and what it means to us this morning. Thank you, God, for your grace and mercy. Thank you for giving us a new birth into a living hope. Amen. So guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Whatever you're doing today, whether you're visiting family or whatever your next part of your day is, have a wonderful Easter. Tell someone about Jesus. God bless you and we'll see you next week.